This is Tom Fox. I'd like to welcome you to The Night Sky, a podcast on the eclipses coming to Kerrville. Over the next 18 months, Kerrville will be the eclipse capital of the world. The first eclipse will be an annular solar eclipse on October 14, 2023, with a total solar eclipse taking place on April 8, 2024. 2023 annular eclipse will be a partial eclipse that will create a ring of fire around the sun. The second will be a total eclipse where full darkness occurs. This podcast, hosted by Andrew Gay and Tom Fox, will celebrate these two eclipses and discuss how the town of Kerrville will prepare for an influx of a quarter million or more visitors, as well as celebrating the dark skies. In our inaugural episode, we visit with Dr. Ben Lockwood, who is equally passionate about astronomy and looking up into the heavens. Ben talks to us about the two different types of eclipses coming to Kerrville, what makes eclipses such dramatic events, and how they can fire the imagination of a young child to create a lifelong love of astronomy. The Night Sky is a production of the Texas Hill Country Podcast Network. In association with the Texas Hill Country Podcast Network, I'm Andrew Gay with Tom Fox here, and this is episode one of the Eclipse podcast. As Andrew said, this is Tom Fox, and we're thrilled today to have my good friend and colleague, Dr. Ben Lockwood, to talk to us about all things Eclipse. So, Ben, first of all, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, gentlemen. It's a pleasure to be here. Ben, you and I have had the opportunity to do several podcasts, but it's typically been in your other field of microbiology. So today we want to maybe take a deep dive into your background a little bit around astrophysics. So could you tell us your how you got interested in this field and what your academic background is in this field? Yeah, my pleasure. I, before I joined healthcare as one of my career avocations, I was an astrophysicist and still consider myself an astrophysics I guess, hobbyist. Some of the work that I used to do was regarding neutron stars, neutron star formation, black holes, and a lot of work in cosmology. All the kinds of stuff that ends up on the best of the best list for sci-fi readers, I would say. Great. Over to you, Andrew. Let's start with kind of the basics. Do you mind explaining to me, Ben, how, what is a solar eclipse? How do they occur and what is their significance? Yeah. What we're looking at here, an eclipse is classically defined as the subtending of one body by another. So in the case of a solar eclipse, we've got the Earth and the Moon, which obviously orbits the Earth, passes between the Earth and the Sun, and in doing so, it creates a shadow. The term comes to us via Latin from the Greek eclipsis, which means fail to appear or to leave out. In the case of eclipses, it's when, or in the case of a solar eclipse, it's when the sun essentially is not visible to us. And that can either be a partial eclipse or in the case of what will occur October 14th, 2023, will be an almost total what's called annular eclipse. And uh, that's a perfect segue into the next question that I had for you. Do you mind explaining the difference between an annular eclipse and a total solar eclipse? Yes. So 
based on the configuration of the Earth and Moon and Sun system together, depending upon where the Moon is in its orbit around the Earth, the relative configurations, there can be a blocking of either part of the Sun, the face of the Sun, obviously. So it's a sphere. We see it as a bright disk. And a partial solar eclipse is when part of the Moon is blocking, creating shadow there. And as it moves towards a situation of a total solar eclipse, that would be a situation where the moon is in such a configuration that it's blocking at least exactly the disk of the sun. And so that's measured in something called a magnitude. So the magnitude of the eclipse is the fraction of the angular diameter of a celestial body being eclipsed. So for a partial or annular eclipse, it's between zero and 100%, or, or I guess a small margin of the sun to 100% of the sun. Whereas for a total eclipse, that number is greater than or equal to 100%. So 100% of the sun's surface is blocked by the moon, or even more, because we know what the precise disk size is of the sun. So if the moon presents to us as larger than that, then it's essentially blocking more than 100% of the sun's disk. So we've got situations of partial eclipses. In this case of the upcoming solar eclipse in October 2023, that particular occurrence will have a magnitude of 0.952. So what that means is 95% of the sun's surface will be covered. So the remaining 5% will create the what's called the annulus, which is a ring. It's really a more beautiful configuration than a total solar eclipse. It'll create a ring formation as the moon's shadow passes in front of the sun disk, and it creates a pretty spectacular image for us on Earth. And if you can see that image that I have, I don't know if you can see that, but there's the two paths outlined yes. on, on the same map. Do you mind just expanding on the significance of, because we're obviously where we're at in the Texas Hill Country is right in the middle of that X, but what is the significance of those two paths creating that X? Is that a common occurrence with two solar eclipses and the way that they cross paths and that sort of thing? Yeah, it is. It's So what's traced there inscribed across the earth, the trajectory of those is essentially showing the path of the shadow of the moon across the face of the earth. And so if you were an individual standing anywhere on those paths at a certain time, what that would inscribe to you would be the path of the eclipse overhead and where those cross is based on the configuration of the earth moon system and how the moon orbits eclipses generally are pretty common phenomena totals are, are more rare but most years have four eclipses the minimum number of eclipses in a year is four and two are always solar eclipses. And then because of how the configuration works, the maximum number of eclipses that can take place in a calendar year is seven. So if you were to draw out all future paths over the next decade or so of eclipses, you would see all of these trajectory inscription lines across the surface of the earth where the shadow will pass for the various types of eclipses. So Ben, originally I wanted to ask you about viewing eclipse, but I decided that that was perhaps a little narrow and maybe expanded to experiencing the eclipse, because I think it will impact a lot of sensory perceptions, but also maybe the popular imagination as well. But could we start with how would you suggest the best way to view the eclipse might be, and then expand into 
a broader definition or a broader question of experiencing it. Yeah, so eclipses really are, as you say, they have tremendous, I would say, social currency for us. So the Chinese began modeling eclipses, I think, around the 4th century BC. And ever since, the, the predictable cadence of eclipses have let people realize that this is something that they can avail themselves of when these occur with fair regularity. And um, I would say the impact that it has on people is to ground us in a perspective that there's a lot out there that potentially we take for granted. Every day we see the moon in the sky at night, we see the typical constellations for our hemisphere, provided there's not too much light pollution or cloud cover. And I think we get a little used to that experience. So when eclipses occur, whether it be a lunar eclipse where the Earth's shadow is blocking part of the moon, or a solar eclipse when the moon's shadow is blocking the disk of the sun, it really, I think, helps to cement for people that we really have this cosmic, we should have this cosmic perspective that we are part of a much larger whole. And I think when people begin to internalize this and it sets them into a situation of realizing their place in things, we feel a little smaller and maybe that makes us feel like we should be a little bit more together. The best way to view it is they typically for eclipses there will be organizations that will have available eclipse glasses and essentially what these are they're just really high density low light transmittance materials so that as you're watching the sun or looking off to the limb of the sun so you're not staring directly at it it's a very dark lens that allows you to see the disk of the sun and see the encroachment of the moon across the surface and getting to the point in this particular case of an annular ring and then the moon passing away. And I would say the best way to, to go about viewing it with the appropriate eyewear is to find a comfortable area to figure out in which location you are, where the shadow will inscribe itself. Find yourself a comfortable place outside, picnic blanket, what have you, with a clear open sky to view from and just to enjoy the ride kind of from the point of approach of the moon to the eclipse itself to when it passes you're looking at more than about a half an hour it's not really an all-day thing for a particular individual but uh, it really is quite a show then i'd like to uh, maybe explore the eclipse in the popular imagination and you talked about how it might make us realize there's more the, to us than simply the earth or Maybe it might bring us together for a few moments, but I'd really like to turn to the eclipse in the popular imagination. It's been a part of literature since time immemorial in books and in movies. But what does it mean for the astronomical community, the astrophysics community, when we have an event like this? So for academicians, does it bring a level of excitement? Or for the four-year-old or eight-year-old boy experiencing this for the first time, might it be his first introduction or her first introduction into literally looking at the stars which might lead to a career in this yeah i couldn't agree more i think there are when young folks have a chance to see something like this it can really spark that interest that could be become a trajectory of lifelong learning in the field for those who work in the field the academicians the physicists astrophysicists Everybody does get a charge out of it happening if for no other reason than what it does do for us is it's yet another, we'll say, notch in the belt of physics and mathematics for working so well that we can predict these years in advance. 
that they happen the way they should happen and that it gives us a sense of our ability to calculate objective reality. I brought a little model as well here. And uh, let me see if I can get this on screen so you guys can see. If I were to show you the Earth as the size of a basketball, the relative size of the moon would be a tennis ball. Now, if I were to ask you guys, how far away in terms of number of Earths between the two of these should I put them? or fractions of Earth, to, to basically get to the question of how far away is the moon from the Earth in order to create the eclipse patterns that I see, what would you suggest? How far would you think that would be? Measured in, how did you phrase that? Measured in? Yeah, Earth diameters or fractions okay. of an Earth diameter. Tom, you got a guess? I'd say five. I was going to go three, but I'll go larger and go 10. Yeah, so it, it's funny. It seems like when we see the moon in the night sky that it's like you, you can almost reach it, but then we have the historical knowledge of knowing that we've landed men there before and that we've got another trip planned. It turns out, though, that it's it, the moon is about 238,000 miles away, which is about 30 Earths away. So when we see that moon, and when that moon is passing in front of the sun, it's about 30 Earth diameters from us. So to, to create a relatively accurate model is surprising how far celestial bodies are away. And what and why that's important, what that leads to is so you've got this tennis ball shaped moon, sized moon, you've got a basketball sized earth, it's about 30 basketballs away. And that creates a shadow path. If you think back to that image you showed of the inscribed trajectories, where the viewable eclipse will be, in the case of the one in October, but similar for most, it'll be about 116 miles wide. So the moon being where it is, that path of the annular ring or of a total eclipse is about 100 and change miles wide. So if you're not in that 100 mile wide slice, that's when people begin to see partial variants of an eclipse. Ben, we talked about the impact of an eclipse on popular culture and how it might fire the imagination of a child looking up into the sky, leading to really a lifelong learning experience. But it also struck me that it has some innate practical aspects. So for instance, in Kerrville, there is a quite active light pollution group who advocates no lights around your home at night, or at least dim, dimmer lights so that the night sky becomes available to you. Was it possible that an event like this could really spur conversations along those lines as well? Yeah, I would hope so. When celestial events like this come up, it's the kind of thing where we as a human race are very much focused on the here and the now. We have to be. And, but what that brings up is there's a thousand things we could focus on, but until something comes up to trigger that which we could do to improve things, like for example, if we see what's going on with the climate now and all of a sudden it becomes much more apparent that climate change is impinging upon our ways of life or in this particular case light pollution could influence how we can or cannot view the sky the night sky from where we live it's really a salient trigger to get people thinking about but if i were to participate as a as a community member in a broader community to do something for the betterment of our future, 
might it be that we are interested in understanding and being able to see our place in the cosmos? So turning down those lights, reducing light pollution when it's not needed, so that these aspects that have so captivated people, like eclipses, aren't lost to those of us who will be the future versions of society. So I think definitely this could be a strong trigger. And again, it, it happens like that, where it could trigger and then there's a decay in behavior and then it triggers and there's a decay. But what we hope is that over time, we don't lose sight of the fact that we are very small and we're participants in a much larger universal ecosystem. Andrew, back over to you for some closing questions. So, Ben, heading into 2023 and 2024, do you have any plans to do any talking or writing about these two solar eclipses? I do, yeah. I think the more opportunities there are which come up as these get closer, I would never turn down an opportunity to, to talk about it because I think almost like what we were just discussing regarding getting the community involved it's easy to just blow things off as a member of the general public to say, you know what, I'm really busy. Yeah, I heard there was an eclipse on the news. But there's a social contagion element where if people get swept up in the notion that, hey, this is coming for the area within which we live, in, in the case of next year's, if you're in Oregon, California, Nevada, Idaho, Utah, Arizona, Colorado, New Mexico, Texas, that strip, those individuals have an opportunity to see something that is really pretty exciting. And like I said at the outset, the annular ring versions of these, I think, tend to be prettier than a total solar eclipse. Maybe not as, as dramatic, but in some sense, much more beautiful. And so I think uh, getting people to get socially contagious about it, get the word out to people that these things, though eclipses, though they do happen with predictable regularity, don't always touch everybody. And the more people who get interested, the more people who are hopefully interested in being outside, checking it out, and then it becomes a discussion point, our place in the universe. And if this does spur any curiosity in oneself, would you have any suggestions for maybe some reading material, books, or websites to suggest? Yeah, I would say there, there are a number of good websites that people can check out. Neil deGrasse Tyson always has good coverage of what's going on up in the sky, the night sky, the stars. So he'll certainly be covering it. NASA and their website, nasa.gov, will have subsections that will cover the eclipse, what to expect to see. And then there are magazines like Sky and Telescope and astronomy.com that have lots of good coverage of content about this. So certainly if viewers are interested, there's no shortage of information about this coming up where they can read more, understand more, and again, hopefully come away with this sense of place, not only on earth, but also in our solar system and the universe at large. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for being here and all your words of wisdom. We greatly appreciate it. Pleasure. Thank you, gentlemen. This is Tom Fox. I hope you've enjoyed this inaugural episode of The Night Skies. If you are interested in eclipses or if you have an eclipse story to share, if you've lived through an eclipse, been through an eclipse, we'd love to have you on our podcast. So please give us a shout out. You can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. This podcast is a special production of the Texas Hill Country podcast network 
If you've ever thought about starting your own podcast and you're in the Hill Country, I hope you will uh, also give us a shout. We'd love to talk to you about coming on to the Texas Hill Country Podcast Network, the only podcast network for the Texas Hill Country and its surroundings.